Good morning. Whether you're here in person or joining us online, welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. I'm Chris Jimerson, co-lead minister for values and mission here at the church. My pronouns are he, him. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. Today we will be exploring some things that people say that can sometimes feel hurtful to us, so know that. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person, and it's in that tradition that I invite you to greet the holy among us this morning, either in the comments, online, or by turning to those around you if you're here in the sanctuary. I'm Kelly Stokes. I'm the director of Lifespan Religious Education, and we get to light the chalice together today. So let's say the words together. They're going to come up on the screen, and they're in your order of service. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. This congregation has a mission. It's our common religious purpose. It arose out of our religious values, transcendence, compassion, community, courage, transformation. And these values and that mission guide all our decision-making. They inform our programs and ministries. We put our mission on our wall, and we say it together every Sunday. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community.
Now is the time in our service where we center ourselves together. We breathe together. And breathing together, we follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, a place of greater creativity, a a place where we sense never-ending possibility, a place where that spark of the divine dwells within each of us. And breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together, remembering that the sounds of small children and other human sounds are a part of that silence in this congregation. Breathing in, breathing out, we now enter into that time of sacred silence together. In a moment, I will invite you, as the music begins, to light candles of sorrow, joy, remembrance, hope. And as we light our candles, let us hold in our hearts a joy Nathan Reed and Harper Shaw, sons of Jillian Redfern and Corey Reed and Lisa and Jason Shaw, met in the halls of our church at age five and have been friends ever since. They went to college together and will graduate together Saturday, May 20th from Austin College. Let's please also hold in our hearts our trans beloveds. It's been a traumatic difficult few weeks at the Texas legislature. I now invite you to light candles and when the music comes to an end, to hold the meditative silence.
Our reading this morning is by white, cisgendered artist, writer, and ordained minister in the United Methodist Church, Jan Richardson. It's titled, This Grace That Scorches Us. Here's one thing you must understand about this blessing. It is not for you alone. It is stubborn about this. Do not even try to lay hold of it if you were by yourself thinking you can carry it on your own. To bear this blessing, you must first take yourself to a place where everyone does not look like you or think like you. A place where they do not believe precisely as you believe where their thoughts and ideas and gestures are not exact echoes of your own. Bring your sorrow, bring your grief, bring your fears, bring your weariness, your pain, your disgust at how broken the world is, how fractured, how fragmented by its fighting, its wars, its hungers, its penchant for power, its ceaseless repetition of the history it refuses to rise above. I will not tell you this blessing will fix all of that. But in this place where we have gathered, wait, watch. Listen, lay aside your inability to be surprised, your resistance to what you do not understand. See then whether this blessing turns to flame on your tongue, sets you speaking what you cannot fathom, or opens your ear to a language beyond your imagining that comes as a knowing in your bones, a clarity in your heart that tells you this is the reason we were made for this ache that finally opens us for this struggle this grace that scorches us toward one another and into the blazing day I have twins who just turned nine And when they were babies, and I tried to take them to a store, I was surprised by how many people wanted to stop to talk to me about them. And not just talk, but to say the same four things. Are they twins? How old are they? Are they boys or girls? You've got your hands full. Sometimes that last one would vary, and they'd say, you're doubly blessed, or two for the price of one, or you must be tired. But... Just a few variations, and it was astonishingly consistent. During a typical trip to HEB, I would be stopped 20 times. 20 times, y'all. And 20 times, I would hear, Oh, are they twins? How old are they? Are they boys or girls? You've got your hands full. I remember thinking it was as if someone was standing outside the front door, handing out flyers and saying, If you see a woman with two babies, please say this to her. It was a script. It was a cultural script that everyone in this culture was using without even realizing it. 
And even though no one talks about it, it's such a widespread phenomenon that if you go online, you can find t-shirts printed with the answers to these questions. <laughs> Designed to save time for twin parents. Because if you've ever taken a baby to the grocery store, let alone two, you know that time is limited if you don't want a screaming baby during checkout. And as much as I love connecting with people, and as much as I knew they were well-meaning and unaware that they were repeating the exact same script as the last 20 people, I just didn't have time for all those interruptions. So I stopped making eye contact with people. When I noticed people about to stop me, I would pretend not to see them and turn the other way. It didn't feel great. I felt rude, and I don't like feeling rude, but it was necessary. One thing that really struck me was how many hundreds of people during that year said to me, you have your hands full, without a single one of them offering to help. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I think it's evidence that, they're, that this was just a script. They weren't really thinking about what they were saying. They weren't bad or unkind people. They just were saying words that were coming out of their brain. So fast forward a few years to the Easter egg hunt in 2021, a rare in-person event while we were still meeting virtually as a church. I was standing around watching the kids with a parent who had joined while we were virtual. I turned to him and said, I'm just so glad you could come today. And then we turned away and we looked at the kids and I turned back to continue the small talk and heard myself saying, I'm just so glad you could come today. <laughs> what, what is happening, I thought. Why are these words coming out of my mouth again? <laughs> so I tried again. You know what happened. <laughs> I said it three times, y'all. I'm glad. Thank you, Mark, for not leaving the church forever. <laughs> yeah. And as I tried to recover from my mortification, I realized with absolute clarity what had happened. My small talk scripts were gone. It was like there was a computer program in my brain with the command, retrieve from small talk folder. But my very efficient brain had thrown all of my small talk scripts in the trash because I hadn't been using them. There I was, trying to make small talk after a year of social isolation with nothing to say. And a few weeks later, we had our first no coffee coffee hour outside where we all stood around talking about how we didn't know how to make small talk anymore. <laughs> Y'all remember that? And I told that story to many of you. It was the only thing in my small talk folder now, so I had to repeat it. <laughs> yeah. These experiences led me to my pet theory of scripts. I'm sure there's a real psychological term, but I just call them scripts. The idea that we have these scripts in our brain that we didn't consciously put there and we aren't aware of, most of them are probably harmless but they may not help us connect in the way that we're intending. What I found out when trying to repopulate that small talk folder in spring of 2021 is that we can craft scripts in alignment with our values once we become aware of them. So to test this theory of scripts, I need a little help. Um, there's a group of people in the sanctuary today that I'm guessing hears the same thing from a lot of different people. I'm talking to my growing people here. Children and youth, will you help me out? Are any of you left? Yeah. So I'd like you to stand up if you ever hear anyone say to you, you've gotten so tall. <laughs> or, I can't believe how much you've grown. Or, you're looking so grown up. 
Thank you. Yes. Okay, now keep standing. If it makes you feel really good, not just neutral, not anything, but really good when people say that to you, please raise your hand. No, don't sit down. Stay standing. Stay standing. But I'm guessing what you mean by that is no, it doesn't make you feel really good, right? Okay, now tell me, who is it that says this to you? Is it adults or other kids? Adults? Anyone kids? All adults. All adults. Okay, thank you. That was very helpful. Thank you. You may sit down. Yes. So look how much you've grown is something most adults say to most kids, right? Adults said it to me when I was a kid. People say it to my kids all the time. I try not to say it to kids because I'm aware of this. But even yesterday morning in the midst of writing this, I said it to my kid. It just happens, right? Because here's the thing. Watching kids grow fills adults with wonder. Which is silly if you think about it. We know they're going to grow. (laughs) It is not a surprise. I have been doing paid child care since the age of 12, and I have a degree in child development. I know that babies are going to grow. (laughs) And yet, every time when I see one of our church babies toddling down that hallway to the nursery for the first time on their own two feet, it catches my breath. I am filled with awe and wonder and delight. When I see a kid who I've known since they were tiny up here singing to us so amazingly today, I am filled with awe and wonder and delight. And I cherish that feeling. I never want to lose that feeling of awe when beholding the miraculousness of life and growth. It's our first UU source, the feeling of transcending mystery and wonder. But what I'm trying to learn, and I do mean trying, because this is something we all do and it's so deeply ingrained, is how to hold on to my feelings for myself without othering the person in front of me by pointing out something that to me feels special or different, but to them just feels really ordinary. Okay, let's have a communal moment of releasing of guilt or shame. Because we were all sitting there going, I've got some of those scripts that Kelly was talking about, weren't we? We all do. These scripts come out of our life experiences, the culture in which we grew up, the culture in which we exist now, the very societal waters in which we swim. We take them on without even realizing it. And sometimes they can even be helpful, help us make sense of life. Sometimes, though, they are unhelpful or just plain wrong. Sometimes they can harm others even when that is not at all our intent. Left unchecked, these scripts can arise out of what social scientists call implicit bias. That's when we hold attitudes or stereotypes towards people without our conscious knowledge. And importantly, we don't have to hold any explicit prejudice for implicit bias to be lurking about outside of our awareness. So I suppose it's convenient that you can actually take a test for your implicit bias at projectimplicit.net. And there's a good reason to do this, because research shows that unearthing such biases can be a first step towards changing these unconscious scripts. Now, 
A few warnings. First, it can be very disconcerting, even upsetting to get a test result that tells you, I'm biased. Second, our level of implicit bias can change depending on our social environment. Let me give you an example. I was in a seminary class on racial justice in Chicago. The class was very diverse, so our discussions were rich and included perspectives from folks from a variety of different races and ethnicities. During the class, they asked us to take an implicit bias test on race. Now, I was all proud of myself because my test showed no racial bias whatsoever. And then three weeks after I got back to Austin, I took it again, and implicit bias started to show up. Well, I was pretty darn upset with myself. But then I got to thinking, I got to asking myself, what was I seeing as I watched network television? Who was most often the bad guy? How often did every protagonist look and sound just like me? Well, that's when I stopped watching network television, though I will admit to streaming Ted Lasso religiously these days. <laughs> anyway, after a few weeks of cutting back on network television, the implicit bias started to disappear again. Now, Finally, I want to warn you that because of the potential for internalized oppression, when folks from historically marginalized groups take one of these tests, it can sometimes show that we have a negative bias toward, well, ourselves. That is no fun. So, while I encourage you to explore these implicit biases and the test, please also know I'm available to you if you take the test and find yourself troubled by the results. And again, exploring them is important because implicit biases too often get expressed in behaviors that unintentionally marginalize other people. These have been often called microaggression. I want you to be aware, though, that that term can be problematic because the impact of these behaviors is often anything but micro for those on the receiving end of them. Better descriptions include exclusionary behaviors or unaware othering. For now, though, if you want to delve into this more, and I encourage you to do so, you'll still have to search the term microaggression because that's what's been used in all the scientific research so far. And I'm going to send you to a website, microaggressions.com, because it has stories people have submitted of their own experiences of these exclusionary behaviors, and those experiences provide such a powerful way to truly grasp the impact of them. And... These exclusionary behaviors can happen here at our church, as Kelly noted, even when our intent is to welcome and create connections with one another. Let me give you just a couple more examples. One exclusionary question can be, what do you do? 
for many other cultures, one's work is not as central to personal identity as it can be among white professionals. In fact, I grew up in a blue-collar culture where career and self-identity are far less bound together. So when I was younger and I got asked this question, I was often confused by it. I was like, I don't know, I hike? I, I go to movies? Breathe? I don't know. Another example of potentially unaware othering is to assume someone was not born in the U.S. because of how they look or sound to us, and then to ask, so where are you from? A friend of mine who was born in the U.S. to parents who had immigrated from Korea told me she always wants to answer that question with, Beaumont, Texas. What's your godforsaken place of birth? <laughs> Apologies to Beaumont and my family members who still live in the area. So anyway, let's uproot implicit bias. Let's work hard to become more aware of our scripts and get creative about ways we might engage one another to avoid this unaware othering and instead creep. Create welcoming, connection, beloved community. Moving beyond these exclusionary behaviors isn't easy, but it is something our faith calls us to do. And it's something we get to help each other do as a religious community. And I think when we work creatively together, it might even be fun. Let's try something a little fun today with a little activity of coming up with new questions to ask each other during coffee hour. To help expand our individual perspectives, we're going to do this with a partner. If you're watching on the live stream with someone else, have this conversation with them. Or if you're by yourself, reach out through the chat to connect with someone. To avoid unaware othering, we'll brainstorm questions that we can ask anyone, regardless of their age, skin color, clothes, how well we know them. Do you like bananas? <laughs> What's your favorite tree? Have you tried the coffee today? Once you found a partner, ask each other this. What would you love to talk about if only people would ask the right question? Then, help each other craft a question based on your partner's answer, but that's broad enough that you could ask anyone. For example, if my partner says, I just love bananas, people don't talk about bananas enough, you know? <laughs> my question could be, what's your favorite fruit? Or if they say, I love playing Dungeons and Dragons, my question could be, are there any games you like to play? When you're done, you should have a broad question that based on your partner's answer that you can use during coffee hour to ask anyone and everyone that you meet. Growing people, if you don't feel comfortable talking to a stranger, ask your grown-up to help talk to them with you. It will really help them to hear what you have to say. Introverts, if this activity makes you wish you hadn't come today, please feel free to pass. <laughs> We're going to take five minutes. Are you ready? We're going to find a partner, ask them what they want to talk about, come up with a question, and then switch. Thank you all for your enthusiasm and participation. We hope that you will carry these conversations and these questions with you out with you as we go out to the uh, 
party that we're going to have right after this service. Now, please join me as we say our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. A benediction is a blessing, so I return to our poem from earlier. To bear this blessing, you must first take yourself to a place where everyone does not look like you or think like you. A place where they do not believe precisely as you believe. Where their thoughts and ideas and gestures are not exact echoes of your own. Let's carry this blessing out into our world together. Go in peace. I send you much love. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.